Welcome back to Uncaged Bible Study. Excited. Today we're going to be focusing on Isaac and with time, maybe diving into Jacob. Let's pray and we'll dive in. Father God, uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to come here and discover more about your word, more about you, that we get to see your plan unfold through your word as you've revealed to us what you wanted to do so that we can know you better and know and have deeper faith in Christ, your son. So God, I just thank you for this opportunity this, this evening. Uh, I pray for all of the stuff that's going on. I know there was a huge accident on the way here. Um, that God, I just, that everyone would be in your hands uh, and that your will uh, would see its way through and that peace would reign. And God, we ask that you would be with us tonight as we open up your word, that your spirit would infuse us and that we would see something new, learn more about you and get a deeper appreciation for who you are. God, I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So Isaac, as we kind of started last week as we were talking about Abraham, Isaac is born to Abraham when Abraham is about 100 years old. It's a surprise. It's a shock when God tells Abraham and Sarah that this is the case, that this is how it's going to be, that Sarah will be the one to bear a child. Uh, and Sarah laughs, which leads to Isaac's name, which means laughter. And so that led us to what's going on now. So Isaac is born. It's been a surprise. Sarah kept her promise, named him Isaac. And then last week, we finished up in chapter 22 of Genesis. Chapter 22 of Genesis is an incredible story that shows us the cross. As Abraham is told by God to lead Isaac up the ridge of Mount Moriah to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Um, Isaac carries the wood for his own sacrifice up Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah happens to be, the ridge of Mount Moriah is in Jerusalem. It starts in the old city of King David and moves north up to the Temple Mount. And then its peak is just north of the Temple Mount, which is exactly where Jesus was crucified at Golgotha, at Calvary. In there, we saw that Isaac was not sacrificed. God stopped Abraham from, from completing the task uh, and in doing so provided a ram. Abraham expected a lamb, and then thousands of years later, a lamb was provided on that exact spot, and Abraham named that place God will provide, and God did 2,000 years later. What we didn't talk about is that the journey to the peak of Mount Moriah for Abraham was a three-day journey, and for three days, Abraham assumed Isaac was dead. And on the third day, they reach the peak of Mount Moriah and God stops the sacrifice from happening. And Isaac is alive and well, which is another strong picture in that story that leads us to what the Messiah will do, what Jesus will do. And so that's chapter 22. It's part of Isaac's life, but Isaac sort of disappears from the story for a little bit as we move into the next couple of chapters. That's very interesting. During this sacrificial time that depicts the crucifixion of Jesus, afterwards, you see Isaac come down from the mountain. He 
meets with the servants that were with Abraham, and then Isaac disappears from the story. He reappears in the story with his Gentile bride later on, which should be a strong picture of Christ and his return to his Gentile bride, the church. So there's a lot of typology that we're going to get into. As we move past chapter 22 and you pick up in chapter 23, the first verse tells us exactly what we're going to be discussing. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. This is talking about the last days of Sarah's life, Abraham's wife. So Sarah is now dead and Abraham is going to bury her. That's what chapter 23 is all about. Sarah is a very interesting and unique character in that Sarah is the only female in the Bible that gives you her age, her death, her burial, and her place of burial. There's no other woman in the Bible like that. And also, she's mentioned as an example to follow in 1 Peter chapter 3. She's a very unique female because she is the mother of Israel. The line came from Abraham through Sarah. So she's mentioned very specifically and uniquely through the scriptures. This, to me, I found astonishing. And he, she's buried at a place called Machpelah. And King Herod, actually, when he took over Jerusalem, built up a fortress sort of around this area as part of his architecture. And that architecture is still there if you ever travel to Jerusalem. And I hope to at some point someday, you'd actually be able to see this site and see the Herodian architecture as well. So it's very unique, um, and it's still preserved, this place in Machpelah. Now, Abraham buys this plot of land, which is what the rest of chapter 23 is about. He has an argument, not an argument, but sort of a barter with a guy named Ephron. And uh, you just sort of see the type of customs that they have where they're very polite, but they're looking to get money out of each other. And so Ephron actually sells the plot of land, this field in Machpelah, to Abraham for 400 shekels of silver, and Abraham doesn't argue, he doesn't barter, he doesn't try to negotiate, he just pays it, which shows you how wealthy Abraham was because that's about 100 pounds of silver. It's a lot of money. And that's a lot of money now. Imagine how much money that was at that point in time. And so that's chapter 23. Now, Sarah's gone, Abraham's old, and his next course of business is to get a bride for his son. Now, remember, I, Isaac has been sort of removed from the text for a little bit. He's still mentioned, but Isaac isn't showing up personally. So Abraham sends out his servant, and we know who the servant is from earlier chapters. The name of the servant is Eleazar. And Eleazar means, my God, my helper, or comforter. That should sound familiar because those are also terms that are used for the Holy Spirit. And Abraham sends out his servant, Eleazar, his helper, his comforter, to collect a Gentile bride for his only son, Isaac, whom was supposed to be sacrificed on Calvary. I hope the picture is becoming clear of what Genesis is painting for us. And we pick up in verse 7 of, of chapter 24. Says the Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I give you this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there, 
And if a woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. oath. Only do not take my son back there. So Eliezer asks a question about his task. And Abraham basically says, go to the place where I was born. Go back to Ur of the Chaldees. Go back to where Babylon eventually is in Mesopotamia. And go find a wife for my son among my family. But because she's not a descendant of Abraham, she's a Gentile. He says, but if no one will go back with you, then you're released from this oath. But Abraham has faith because he's following God's plan. Eleazar goes out on this task. And this is where we pick up in verse 14. He says, now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So Eleazar takes time to stop and pray. And he says, as I'm searching for this bride for Isaac, let it be the one I'm going to, when I come to a well, I'm going to ask for a drink. And the woman who says, not only will I give you a drink, but I'll also give your camels a drink, then I'll know that's the one that God has pointed out. And so as he travels down, he gets to the well and he sees a woman. That's what it says. Then the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. And he said, blessed be the Lord, God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy, his truth toward my master. As for, be, as for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. The reason Eleazar says that is because as he goes down to Ur of the Chaldees, he comes across a well. And he meets a woman named Rebecca. And Rebecca is there. And Eleazar says, would you please draw out some water for me? And she says, yes, and I'll also draw some water for your camels. So Eleazar is praising God. And he's saying, God has answered my prayer. And he finds out that Rebecca is from Abraham's family. And it's exactly what he had prayed for. And so he goes back with Rebecca to the family, um, whose her brother was named Laban, um, who we'll deal with later. Um, but Bethuel is the name of her father. So Bethuel and then her son Laban and his daughter Rebecca. Now Laban we deal with with Jacob's story, but Rebecca is part of Isaac's. So they go back to Bethuel's house, and Eleazar tells Bethuel the whole story, the exactly what happened. Abraham. Your, like, your cousin, basically, sent me down here, and uh, he told me to find a wife for Isaac, his son. And as I was coming down, I was praying that God would bring me a woman specifically for Isaac to marry from his family's household. I came across Rebecca, and she did exactly what I prayed for to do. And he's telling the story to Bethuel. And in verse 57, it picks up, and he says, So they said, We will call the young woman and ask her personally. So Bethuel has agreed to let Rebekah go back. He's saying he can't deny what has happened to Eleazar, and he's happy that it's part of his family, it's part of the custom back then. And so he's agreeing to let this go on. But a part of the rule was this. We will call the young woman and ask her personally. Rebekah still had a choice whether or not to follow through. And this is part of this, the Jewish wedding ceremony, even after the dowry has been paid and the parents have agreed, 
the woman still has the ultimate choice whether or not she will go to her suitor. So then they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, our sister, may you become the master of, or the mother of thousands, of ten thousands. And may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. So she's getting sent off with a blessing and asking for her to have many descendants, which was exactly the promise that was given to Abraham. So her family is offering a blessing that God already promised Abraham and Isaac through Abraham, that they would be a nation. They would be beginning a nation and have many, many descendants. So I think that that's interesting. Uh, And from there, Isaac finally, I think, is going to show up. So Abraham, in his old age, after all of this is done, the servant told Isaac the things that he had done, and Isaac brought her into his mother's tent, or into his mother Sarah's tent. And he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Now Abraham, at his old age, took a, a wife, and her name was Keturah, and she had a bunch of sons. So Abraham had a bunch of other descendants beside Isaac, but at this point, Isaac is the promised one, and we know that. So Abraham gave, before he dies, verse 5, chapter 25, Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. So this is customary. When the oldest son, or when a father dies, and he knows that he's on his way out, he, in, in the culture back then, he would give a blessing to his sons, any of his descendants. And the firstborn son would get a double portion, meaning that he would actually take over all of the father's household and possessions, and everybody else sort of had stuff divvied out from there. Um, Isaac actually wasn't the firstborn son. It was Ishmael. But God flips that on its head because Isaac was the promised one because it was supposed to come through his legitimate married life through Sarah. And so Isaac receives the blessing. This again continues to point us in the direction of who the Messiah is going to be. It's not through Ishmael's line, it's through Isaac's line, because God is continuing continuing to push us to understand that it is Isaac. Isaac is the one that matters. Now Abraham, after giving the blessing away, passes away and says, this is the sum of the years of Abraham's life. This is verse 7, which he lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite. The field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth, there Abraham was buried, and Sarah his wife. And it came to pass, after the death of Abraham, that God blessed his son Isaac, and that Isaac dwelt at Beer Lahai Roy. So, again, confirming that Isaac is the one who receives the blessing. And Abraham and Sarah are buried at Machpelah. It actually ends up being Isaac and Rebekah are also buried there as well, and Jacob and Leah, but not Rachel, uh, as we get into Jacob's life. But we are physically told that Sarah is buried there, and she's the only one who's confirmed biblically, but 
through history, we know that the others are buried there. And then we get a little bit of detail surrounding the descendants of Ishmael. And then it goes into the genealogy of Isaac as Jacob is going to be born. And this picks up in verse 19. It says, this is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife. The daughter of Bethuel, the, Sirius, or the Syrian of Padam Aran, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived, but the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So he went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So Isaac is, is getting again what happened to him with Abraham. The younger son is going to be the one that receives the blessing from Isaac, just as Isaac, the younger son of Abraham, received the blessing. So God is continuing this pattern in contradiction to the culture of the world. This sort of reminds me of Romans 12 too. Like, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be willing to follow God even when it's contradictory to the world around you. And so when her days were fulfilled, were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, and he was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So Rebekah has Jacob and Esau. Esau comes out first, and he's red and hairy. So they name him Esau, which actually means red and hairy. Okay? Um, and then Jacob, while Esau is on his way out, is holding on to Esau's heel. And so they name him Yaakov, or Jacob, which literally means heel grabber. So the names that they were given were very literal to their birth circumstance. But it also turns out to be literal as Jacob and Esau get older. Because Jacob is the heel grabber. He's the one who trips you up. And he tends to be kind of a conniving individual as he grows older, especially with his brother. And Esau is red and hairy, and that's about all of the personality you get from Esau as you read his story. He's just a hairy, like, manly dude who likes hunting. And that's really what you get. And so their personalities come out. In fact, right in the next portion of the story in verse 29, you get a picture of the relationship between Jacob and Esau and how it didn't really change. It says, now Jacob cooked a stew. And Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. So Jacob, kind of an indoorsy guy, Esau, red, hairy, manly man, uh, came in from the field and was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me uh, with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. So Esau was also given the name Edom. That'll come up later and be important. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I am about to die. So what is my birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. And he swore to him and sold him his birthright to Jacob. 
And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. And he ate and drank, arose, and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So Jacob, he doesn't even really trick Esau. Esau just doesn't care. He only cares about the now, what's right in front of him. He doesn't care about spiritual things. He doesn't care about the future. He only cares about satisfying his appetite. In this sense, literally, but it also is true of him just in general. And you'll see that as their story plays out. Esau only cares about the material and what's right in front of him. And Jacob is thinking long term. But he, he gets Esau to give up his birthright, even fulfilling what God already said about Jacob and Esau. At this point, there's a famine in the land. And chapter 26 is the most expansive thing we have on Isaac. So I'll read through it. There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines in Gerar. So Abraham also met someone named Abimelech. This is a different Abimelech, but probably from the same family line. Because the word Abimelech means my father is king. Abba, meaning my father, Melech, meaning king. So this is probably a family title similar to the Herods in the New Testament, how there's several different Herods given the name Herod, but they're part of a family dynasty. So this is a different Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. So then the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt, live in the land, which I shall tell you, dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and I will perform the oath, which I swore to Abraham, your father, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to you, your descendants, all these lands and in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So God is reiterating to Isaac, the promise that he gave Abraham and reaffirming with Isaac that the promise is through you. But he's also warning Isaac, don't go to Egypt. Don't make the same mistake Abraham made. See what happens. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Abraham was faithful, even though he made a few mistakes. He was faithful to God. So this promise is going to continue. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar, and the men of the place asked about his wife. And he was afraid. He said, she is my sister. For he was afraid to say she is my wife because he thought lest the men of the place kill me for Rebecca because she is beautiful to behold. This is the exact same thing Abraham did with the Abimelech he met and also the same thing he did in Egypt. So he is following in his father's footsteps almost to a T. He's getting the same blessing from God, but he's making the same mistakes that Abraham made. Now it came to pass when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw that there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. So then Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, because I said, because I said, lest I die on her account. So what's happening is Abimelech sees Isaac basically through his window and he sees him flirting with Rebekah. And he goes, there's more going on there than I was told. Um, so I'm going to confront him about it. And Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife and you could have, been, you could have brought guilt on us. 
So Abimelech charged all of his people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. The man, uh, the man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. That is a mouthful. Let me read it again. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And they had filled them with the earth. So here's what's going on. Abraham's, or Isaac's getting really wealthy. And he's getting really blessed in a foreign land. Which is exactly what happened with Abraham. Um, but the people are getting jealous of him. So we're going to, there's a lot of well digging and stuff that happens in this section because Isaac is constantly moving around digging wells because he keeps getting confronted by the people of the land. So we'll pick up in verse 23 and see what happens. So then he went up to Beersheba and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called the name of the Lord and he pitched his tent there and there Isaac's servants dug a well. So up to this point, he had been digging well after well after well and Abimelech's servants kept coming to him and confronting him about the well and he would just name the well and move on to another place because he felt like he couldn't stay there. So now he's gone to a place called Beersheba, which is actually a place Abraham was where he received a blessing. So now he's home. He's where he should be. So this is a little, going to be a little bit different. Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, one of his friends, and Phicol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? So why have you come to me? You hate me and you keep sending me away from you. What's the deal? But they said, we've certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you, and since we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace, you are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank, and they, they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another. And Isaac sent them away and departed from him in peace. It came to pass the same day, that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well, which they had dug and said to him, we have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. So Beersheba is the well of the oath. That's what the name of that is. And he named it that after water sprang from there. And he's finally able to stay somewhere and he's not getting kicked out. When Esau was 40 years old, he took his wives, Judith and the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, and Basemath and the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they were griefed in mind to Isaac and Rebekah. So Isaac, this is the one time Isaac doesn't seem to repeat the things that Abraham did. Abraham, when he builds a well, or when he comes to a place and someone confronts him, he pushes back and he deals with it head on. Isaac does not. Isaac is the peacemaker. He doesn't confront anybody. He just walks away 
and he deals with it very differently. And he walks away and digs another well. And then they, they confront him and tell him he can't stay there. And he names the well and then walks away. Where Abraham would have been someone who confronted them as he did in the past. This is the one time in Isaac's life where he doesn't look like Abraham. But it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just how you deal with conflict. Abraham dealt with it differently than Isaac. It's just something to notice as you see the lineage change. Because the next person in the lineage will be Jacob. And this will be the last section for tonight. So it came to pass when Isaac was old, his eyes were so dim that he couldn't see. That he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. Then he said, behold, now I am old. Uh, I do not know the day of my death. So Isaac's old. He can't see. And he calls Esau in, his oldest son. And he's going to make a deal with him. Uh, and I like that the first thing he says to him is, I'm old. And I don't know when I'm going to die. So at this point, Isaac is about 137 years old. Jacob and Esau are both 77. So oftentimes we hear the story and we think they're in their like teens or like 20s. They're 77 years old. <laughs> Isaac is 137 years old. Now, Isaac thinks he's going to die soon. He actually lives for 43 more years after this event. But he probably assumes he's going to die because his older brother, Ishmael, died at 137 years old. So he's, his eyes are deteriorating and he's getting worried. So now, now therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. So he's saying, Esau, go, go kill some food for me. And make me savory food, food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So Isaac has hatched a plan. Now God has said that the younger will serve the older, that Jacob is going to get the blessing. Rebecca knew this. Jacob had already gotten the right to Esau's birthright through selling him the stew. But Isaac loves Esau. Esau's his favorite. Jacob is Rebecca's favorite. And there's a lot of conflict in this family. So Isaac thinks he's going to do something to usurp God's plan. And he sends out Esau to get food for him uh, one more time so that he can bless him and give him his birthright and blessing. So that's what's going on. Meanwhile, Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son. So I, you know how it says that? Esau, Isaac's son, Jacob, Rebekah's son, because they were playing favorites. So Rebekah saying, Jacob, I heard, I overheard, this is what's going on. Uh, I overheard your father saying to your brother Esau, bring me game and make me savory food that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I have commanded you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there the choice kinds of goats, and I will make savory food from them such as your father loves. Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it, that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob said, to Rebekah, his mother, look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth-skinned man. Rebekah is hatching this plan. 
So this is the moment where you get to realize as we talk about the rest of Jacob's life, where he learned all of his strategy from. Rebecca was very cunning. Um, and I really like this. At the end, he says, uh, I am a smooth-skinned man. I Sometimes when I read that in my head, I say a smooth criminal because that's who Jacob is. Rebecca and Jacob are hatching a plan. They're going, to, they're going to make food from their livestock taste like venison. And they're going to trick Isaac into blessing Jacob instead of Esau. And that's exactly what they do. But because Jacob is smooth and Esau is hairy, they take some of the lambskin and some of the sheep hair from the game and they put it on Jacob. And they also make him wear some of Esau's clothes so that he smells like him. Um, so they really, really thought this out. And as they do this, this is, this is the reaction. Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly? How, how have you found this food so quickly and cooked it for me so quickly? Uh, and he says, because the Lord your God brought it to me. So um, now they're bringing God into their lie, which is, you know, that's always healthy. So this family, I tell you, they're really messed up. Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you really are Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. He said, bring it near to me and I will eat my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he did. Then after this little scene plays out, Esau shows up. Picking up in verse 30, now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. And he also made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? And he said, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came and I have blessed him and indeed he shall be blessed. So Jacob and Rebekah trick Isaac Esau comes back in and he brings the game and he's thinking, of course, very compulsory, like he always does. He wants what's right in front of him. He doesn't even care that he sold his birthright. Now he wants what's coming to him next. He wants his inheritance and he doesn't think about the fact that he already sold it to Jacob. He comes in and he doesn't see it coming, but Isaac says, your brother tricked me. I've already blessed him. And I think this is the moment where Isaac realized what he did. Because Isaac's response was, I've already blessed him and he shall be blessed. Because Isaac recognized he was trying to overrule what God had already said. And he realized it didn't work. And he created a really dysfunctional family out of it. Where husband and wife were working against each other. And brother were, brothers were fighting against each other. And in the end, God still worked it out so that exactly what he said would happen is what happened. And now Isaac's caught in his old age, blind, and he missed it. And he keeps the promise, and he doesn't 
take away the blessing from from Jacob and he lets him keep it because it was rightfully his anyway, because God said so. I wonder if that in that moment, Isaac was also thinking about the fact that he was also the younger brother. And God has chosen this family to be different from the world. And because they're different from the world, God is going to use this family to bless all of the nations of the world, which is the promise that was given to Abraham and then to Isaac and will be given to Jacob, that through their descendants, the entire world will be blessed. All of the nations will be blessed through them. And that is the foreshadowing to Jesus. And Isaac is a picture of that unlike any other with his trip up Mount Moriah and what ultimately happened at Calvary. So I hope what you're seeing is even in complex family issues, even when, peop- even when the, the biblical characters aren't acting in order, God is still in control, and he's still narrowing the picture for us to see who the Messiah is, what descendant, descendants he will be, or who he will be a, des- a descendant from, and what the picture of his story will look like. And God is unfolding that before our very eyes, and we're only through the, halfway through the first book. And there's so much more to go. So with that, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for opening this up to us and giving us a chance to understand you and your plan a little bit better. God, thank you for the patriarchs, for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, as we dig into their stories and how they point us directly to you and to your son and his sacrifice. God, we ask for our relationship to be genuine with you and that we can just feel your presence and know you more and love you more. And God, give us the boldness to share this with our neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen.